0: Hi there, this is Kelly Darty. You know, we've all experienced various types of pressure in life, sometimes even to the point of asking ourselves just how much more we can take. Sometimes the pressure comes as a result of poor decisions, and sometimes we experience it simply because we've done the right thing. Regardless of the reason, the Bible's clear as to how we as believers are to face and deal with that pressure. So in today's episode of the His Hill podcast, John Forrest, who is the dean and principal of our Bible school, will lead us in a study with the purpose of seeing just how we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ should handle pressure. Join us as we go to God's Word together.
1: It's great to be here, and uh, looking forward to getting to just share a little bit about what the Lord's laid on my heart. Uh, so, if you if you take a, a balloon that's been blown up just a little bit, you know you begin to apply some some pressure to a specific area of that balloon, uh, then then you'll notice that it starts to stretch. You can press into a balloon, and it stretches, but it doesn't really affect the shape of the rest of the balloon all that much. Uh, but when you start to apply pressure on multiple parts of the same balloon at once, it distorts the shape of it, and and you see that the the different parts of the the rubber start to get thinner and lighter, and it, you you see that they're weakening. It. It's almost like it's about to pop. Uh, and there's that question of how much pressure can you apply before a balloon pops, uh, and you know, I, I think that the reality is that in our walks with Jesus, uh, that the Christian is always going to be facing different degrees of pressure in different aspects of life. Uh, and sometimes it feels like we're, we're facing pressure from just one specific area, and sometimes it seems like the pressure is just coming in from from all around us, from different sides. Uh, and and I, as I've been thinking about and reflecting on uh, where does this pressure come from, and, and there's, I think, lots of uh, different categories we could put sources of pressure in. Uh, but I, I thought of three major areas, and I think we can face pressure from external sources, so that, and namely this is outside of the, the churches, from unbelievers from the world around us, uh, that we can we can be pressured uh, in in our walk with Christ, and I think also the Christian can face pressure from within the community of the body of believers. I think other Christians uh, can can be pressuring us in some way, and and I'll elaborate some on that in just a little bit. And then thirdly, I think we can face just internal pressure in our own soul, just the the things going on in our own flesh uh, that are really. Causing us to to maybe question or doubt the sufficiency of of Christ uh, and just our own walk with Him, and so we have these these different sources of pressure and and I I think of those things and I think okay well what did what did that look like in Jesus's life uh, because we're going to experience pressure but what did that look like in Jesus's life and uh, and we see these three different. Uh, elements of pressure or sources of pressure in in his own life. And he had people that on numerous occasions uh, that that approached him and mocked him and just thought that his testimony of he being the Messiah and the Son of God was just ridiculous, and that him talking about his calling to go to the cross, Jesus faced pressure to set that aside and to say, no, that is not what, what the Father would have for you to do. Uh, and so Jesus faced these kinds of pressures. And so thinking of those outside of his circle, those who were not his followers who put pressure on him, uh, there were plenty of examples we could look at in the scriptures to see Christ facing pressure. Uh, the devil himself calls to Jesus and he tells him, hey, if you're really the son of God, uh, why don't you prove it? You know, and we see that with the, the temptations that, the devil places before Christ, and in Matthew chapter four, verse six, he tells him, "If you're really God's son, throw yourself off from the the pinnacle of the temple." Uh, and trying to put pressure on Christ to live outside of what he had been called to live, and that's an independent obedience to the Father. In Mark chapter six, there's there's this other situation where Jesus faces pressure from the unbelievers around him. Then verses 2 and 3 it says, When the Sabbath came, Jesus began to teach in the synagogue. And the many listeners were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what is this wisdom given to him? And such miracles as these performed by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? Are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And people who were familiar with Christ, maybe people that had even grown up in the same community and, and they, they had seen him as a young child and seen him as an adult working as a carpenter, that they knew Jesus. And as they heard his own testimony about himself and his own teaching, it says they took offense at him. You, you just, I just imagine the comments that may have been made of, who do you think you are? Like You need to just set this, this teaching aside that you keep talking about, proclaiming yourself to be someone that you're not. And so they're surprised by his teaching. They think it's just way too far-fetched to accept it. And, and so they're offended by him. And that pressure from those unbelievers outside, encouraging Christ to reconsider walking in the calling that the Father has called him to. And in John chapter 10 and in verse 31, it says, after Jesus had been teaching, that the Jews picked up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, I showed you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you stoning me? And the Jews answered him, for a good work we do not stone you, but for blasphemy. And because you being a man, make yourself out to be God and we see this pressure again that Jesus experiences and there's there's numerous accounts throughout the gospels of Christ facing pressure from those outside of his followers from people saying your testimony about yourself cannot be true and as as the christian walks with christ we just recognize that Christ himself experienced this pressure from the world around him to reconsider what he knew to be true in his heart. And we see right before his death, Jesus telling the disciples that he's going to suffer, and he's going to die. In in Matthew chapter 16, verse 22, it says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And you think, okay, uh, of... Jesus' closest disciples, uh, Peter, James, and John, that Peter comes up after Jesus has clearly said, this is what's in store for me. And he faces the the pressure, the opposition from somebody within his closest circle saying, no, Jesus, you don't have to go through this. This is not right. And I think of even Paul himself, when he was on his way to go back to Jerusalem in Acts, uh, and as he's as he's taking the steps to get there, and he's getting closer and closer, and then his his friends around him start to say, "No, Paul, this is this is not the the direction that you need to go. The the Lord would not have you go to Jerusalem, just to be arrested and to suffer." Uh, but Paul keeps pressing. He says, "No, this is what the Lord would have. I know that even if I go and it leads to my death, that my life is of no value to me." Uh, but only that I would walk in what the Lord has called me to walk in. And so there's this internal pressure that can take place in the life of the Christian. And going back to, to Jesus' life, uh, there's also the account when, when Philip uh, is hearing these things and it says that uh, you know, he isn't content with some of the things that Jesus has taught and he wants even more from Jesus. And in John 14, and verse 8, it says, Philip said to Jesus, "'Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us.'" Indicating that Philip wasn't really satisfied with all that Jesus had communicated up to that point. He wanted something more. And Jesus said to him, "'Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, "'Show us the Father.'" And he faces pressure from Philip, one of his own disciples, that Jesus needed to do more. That the way that the Father had led Jesus to live wasn't sufficient to foster and encourage faith in the life of Philip and the other disciples. Philip was was indicating, Jesus, we need more from you. Surely the Father wouldn't have you give less than what you've already given. Uh, and so, you know, I just want to stop for a second there and just think about, you know, how much in in our Christian lives that this sentiment can be so common. You know, that well-intentioned Christians can tell us how we ought to better show Jesus to others, when really we're we're just walking in what Christ had led us to do or to say. Uh, that already the way for Jesus to be seen is for us to simply listen to him. That's the clearest testimony of showing Christ, is living in humble obedience to what he's called us to do and say. And it's, it's easy to feel that pressure from other people saying, no, you need to, to do more. You need to say more. You need to act a certain way. And it all comes back to, am I walking in humble obedience to Christ? Am I living as he has called me to live? And we'll get to that at the end of the means to that, you know, the means to that is Christ himself. But it's so easy to feel the pressure from others, even other believers, that our Christian life ought to be added to in order to more clearly display Christ and we see that pressure on Jesus here you know that there's those within his circle that are telling him in order for you to be a clear display of the father please do this additional thing uh, and Jesus says the clearest display of the father is myself my humble obedience to him and living in dependence on him and so Jesus faces pressure from the world around him, and he faced the pressure from uh, his own internal circle of followers and believers. And even within his own, his own soul, we see that Jesus uh, faced pressure. And we look at John chapter 12 and verse 27, he says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I came to this hour, talking about the crucifixion that was about to take place. And then in the Garden of Gethsemane in Matthew 26 and verse 38, it says, then he, Jesus, said to them, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. So he talks about his soul being troubled, his soul being grieved to the point of death. And and I think of that, and that those words and phrases really, to me, look like he's feeling the pressure on his heart in his life about what's about to take place. And so Jesus was not void of this sense of, of burden and pressure in walking and humility and obedience to the Father. And so at different points, he, he faces this as he walks and lives as a human on earth And there's certain seasons in Jesus's ministry where he has greater pressure or multiplied pressures from different angles, uh, from multiple sources. And yet, as Jesus expresses the truth of who he is and what he came to do, there's always this opposition, both either externally or internally, and sometimes both, to his walking in obedience to the will of the Father. And, and I mentioned that, that statement there that there's this internal opposition for him to walk in obedience to the will of the Father. And, and I want to clarify that uh, because was there conflict within Christ to be obedient to the Father? And I don't think there was. Uh, when, when Jesus is walking in the Father's will— I don't think there's ever a situation where he's wrestling with, should I obey the Father or should I just do my own thing? I don't think that was uh, ever on the the table in Jesus' mind of obedience to the Father or should I disobey. But Jesus did experience suffering, and he didn't relish suffering. Uh, It wasn't something that he's looking for. He's not trying to find opportunities Uh, for other people to come and put pressure on him, uh, to be harsh towards him. He's not trying to surround himself with people that are going to discourage him to walk in obedience to the Father, to test his faith. Jesus is not looking to try to put himself uh, in difficult situations. But instead, as he's walking in obedience to the Father, he's just... Sometimes that obedience is requiring him to intersect with pressure and opposition. And that's not a surprise. You know, he willingly does this. He willingly suffers. And so it's not an internal conflict in in Jesus' own soul of whether or not to obey. But it is the present reality that that obedience is going to lead. To hardship, uh, to conflict at times, and so that's what that's what he's going through. That opposition, that internal pressure—it's never a struggle of will. I obey, but rather, it's a testimony of I'm willing, but it demands sacrifice. And that the obedience is going to be costly. And so, as Jesus faces these pressures, and each one of us, you know, as followers of Christ, we can expect to face these kinds of pressures as well. And again, it's not going to look exactly the same, that the degree is going to differ. uh, But, you know, we look at in 1 Thessalonians 3, in verses 2 through 4, Paul writes and he says, We sent Timothy, our brother, and God's fellow worker in the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you as to your faith, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. For indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. And Paul is writing, he says to the church there that, listen, the the affliction that we're facing, we're not surprised by it because we recognize that we're destined for this. As followers of Christ, he who suffered first, as an example to us, says we shouldn't be surprised when we, in like manner, also face hardship, also face suffering, pressure, opposition from the world around us, within our own hearts. Uh, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20, he says, "'What credit is there if, when you sin and you're harshly treated, you endure it with patience?' But if when you do what is right and you suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose. What purpose is he talking about there? I think he's talking about the purpose of being harshly treated. Because he then goes on and gives the example. You've been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps says you're going to suffer Christ suffered for you. We also know that we have been called to this that we're going to suffer as well. We're not looking for for it, but we're there's a willingness to to experience it. It's because as we walk in obedience to Christ, sometimes humble obedience is going to intersect with circumstances of pressure, of of suffering and hardship. And in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, Peter also writes there in verse 12, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that also at the revelation of his glory you may rejoice with exaltation. He says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised at the, the suffering, at the pressure that that you're going through. But trust in Christ. Rejoice that we get to share in the sufferings of Christ. And there's so many other verses. We could look at James chapter 1, talking about considering all joy. We could look at 2 Timothy, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1 as well. There's just It's all throughout Scripture that... The people of God, even as they're walking in obedience to Christ, they still face opposition. External opposition, opposition within their own ranks and dissension, uh, and even inside their own hearts, the individual believer faces the, the pressure of, I don't want to suffer, uh, but I'm willing to. And so we're going to be pressed. Uh, and that pressure can ebb and flow in different degrees, but it's going to take place. But one of the things that we often, I think, consider that I know I've considered is in different seasons, we, we ask that question of, okay, I know that the, the pressure is is legitimate, you know, that, that it's going to come and I'm experiencing it. it's not outside of God's sovereign hand, but still you know, sometimes I say, I just don't know how much more I can take. You know, that like that balloon that's being pressed from all these different directions. And it's like, at what point is something going to give? And I'm just going to be done. Uh, I remember when I was in high school, my family, we lived in South Carolina and the summers there are hot, uh, kind of like Texas heat, except it's a lot more humid. Uh, and, When I was in high school, I was on the football team and in August, you know, they always pick the hottest part of the year to do this. Uh, We would have the beginning of our football practices and we call them two-a-days. So that means you have two practices every day. You get up in the morning, you practice all morning, then you have lunch and you go and you practice the rest of the afternoon. And I just could not figure out for the life of me why we decided to do this in August when it was the hottest time of the year. Uh, and it was just miserable. And so, I mean, the only conclusion that I could come to is they have to just be doing this to try to make us quit, to try to force us to figure out, okay, how much more of this can I take? Because it was so miserable. And uh, and so, and I think sometimes in our, in our Christian life and we experience different pressures, so we have those thoughts that come into our minds of, Lord, I just don't know how much more I can take. And what is to be our, our response to that? You know, that as we look at Christ's example of his enduring hardship and bearing up under pressure, and we know that as followers of Christ, we are also going to experience similar things in different contexts, what do I do in my own heart when I, I have that question come up that says, Lord, I just don't know how much more I can take. And I think of when Jesus was arrested and he's put on trial. And it's a familiar story. Peter and John followed Jesus to the, the courtyard and with the place that he's going to be put on trial. And consistently throughout their relationship, Peter was so adamant that he's never going to turn his back on Jesus. You know, he says, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll do whatever it takes. Even if everybody else abandons you, I never will. And if we had the, the label among the disciples of which one of them were the most on fire for Jesus, we use that term a lot, uh, I think we would say Peter. That Peter is the guy who is clearly expressing his passion and his commitment he's eager he's bold he even cuts off a guy's ear to try to defend Jesus like peter is all in uh, and and yet when he's standing in that courtyard warming himself by the fire and trying to see what happens with Jesus he's asked on these three separate occasions do you know him weren't you a follower of Jesus aren't you galilean Aren't you one of his disciples? Three different times he's approached and asked that. And every single time, despite having so adamantly told Jesus that he's never going to deny him. It says that in Luke 22, verse 61, that as soon as Peter denies Jesus the third time, the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had told him before a rooster crows today, you will deny me three times that Peter felt this pressure from the servant girl, from the people in the courtyard, as they're asking him, aren't you one of his followers? And three different times we see Peter succumb to this pressure, this, this pressure from people that would even be seen as, as low in the social class, some of the lowest in the social class. And he succumbs to this pressure. And it says when he meets eyes with Jesus after denying Christ three times, and he hears the rooster crow, that it triggers in his memory the statement that Jesus had made that said, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter realizes what he's done, that he's succumbed to the pressure, that he's failed. And it says that he went outside of the courtyard and he wept. And and this story just captures my heart so much every time I, I reflect on it because I just think, man, what weight of guilt and sense of failure Peter must have faced and how easy it is for, for us to be able to relate with him, you know, that we fail. And we have these high ambitions, you know, Jesus, I am totally committed. I'm all in. I'm, I'm going to on fire for you, and then the realities of life in our own flesh surface to the the top, and we realize, wow, I am not all that I thought I could be. Uh, I I don't have it all together. And just thinking, how is Peter supposed to bear up under this pressure of remorse, of, of guilt, and despondency, And in my own life, you know, when I succumb to these different pressures in my life, when I make these seemingly huge mistakes, uh, how do I respond? You know, how do we respond when we give in to the pressure that's, that's on us? And we have to look back and think about how Jesus had prepared Peter for how to respond. And... Luke chapter 22, before Jesus had been arrested, they're talking in the the upper room and Jesus counsels Peter and he tells him he's going to deny him three times. Uh, And Peter says, no, I won't. And then Jesus says in verse 31 of Luke 22, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. And how does Jesus comfort and encourage Peter? Hey, Satan's coming for you. He's demanded to sift you uh, and to show and expose your weakness and your shortcomings. How does Jesus seek to encourage Peter? He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And it, I just think it's so, a few observations here that is so interesting to me that Jesus does not tell Peter, hey, Satan's demanded to sift you like we, but Just make sure you have faith. He doesn't tell Peter, but just stay strong, stay firm, it's going to be okay. He doesn't tell Peter, just keep going. But instead he says, but I have prayed for you. And Jesus expects that this reality is supposed to be an encouragement to Peter's heart and to Peter's relationship with Christ, his faith that Peter understanding Christ's intercession on his behalf is to gird him and strengthen him for what's ahead. And, And I think that's so significant. It's not a, Peter, look to yourself and prepare yourself and put your faith in yourself, but rather, Peter, put your faith in me. Don't put your faith in your faith. Put your faith in the person. Put your faith in the author of faith. And so it's in our our lives, in our walks with Jesus, that we too are finding our confidence and our security and our refuge in the one who is standing in the gap for us and not in our own ability to stand in the gap, to defend ourselves, to hold ourselves up and to push against the pressures that we're facing. But instead, Jesus says, put your faith in me, your mediator and your intercessor. And he tells him to here, yeah, as he reminds him, he tells him that he's prayed for him, uh, that he's he's wanting Peter to take courage in the reality that Jesus is his mediator. To take courage and to take heart in knowing that Jesus is, has stepped into Peter's weakness. That even though Peter isn't aware of his own weakness at this point, Jesus is fully aware of Peter's weakness. He's fully aware of Peter's shortcomings and his failures. And even if he hasn't, Peter hasn't even failed yet in denying Christ, Jesus is already aware. And he says, Trust me, not in yourself. And in our own soul, when we feel as if the balloon is about to burst, so to speak, uh, that we're to remember this sweet reality that we are in Christ. That my failure to abide in Christ, it doesn't change my position in Christ. That abiding and my position are two different things. And so Peter here is going to fail, and he denies Christ, and Jesus says, that doesn't change who you are. That doesn't change that you are mine. But this this isn't supposed to foster this this flippancy about abiding. Like, oh, I can I I don't have to abide and I don't have to walk in in obedience with Christ and dependence on Christ because my position is so secure. No, Paul talks about this. He says we don't continue to sin so that grace can abound. We don't abuse the grace of God or cheapen it uh, and and say this is this is just something that's given so I can use it however I want and I can just sin because God's going to be gracious towards me. Uh, not to, not to live in that way, but instead it allows us to live. I think of like a rubber band, you know, you stretch out a rubber band and it's this illustration of, you know, when we are walking in, in, Uh, disobedience or we succumb to the pressures and it's like that rubber band being stretched and we're no longer living as we are made to live in relationship and fellowship with Jesus. And yet, as soon as we acknowledge that, we come back into that right understanding of who we are in Christ, that the rubber band just goes right back into its normal, original shape. Uh, and as we, as we wrestle with our own failure and we think, what do I do with this? That I've made this mistake, that I've stumbled in this way. And he says, don't forget your position. Christ has interceded on our behalf. Christ is our mediator. So our comfort is in the person of Jesus. In Psalm 63... In verse 3, verse 3 through 8, it says, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. My soul is satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And when we think about the reality that as followers of Jesus, there's going to be pressures. And yet, Our heart keeps coming back to God himself, revealed in Christ. We keep coming back to Jesus as our comfort, as our refuge, as the one who holds us up in the midst of the pressure, who sustains us through them. But even if we fail, that still our position is secure. And we take great comfort in the person of Christ. Our confidence is not in our faith. Our confidence is in the one in whom we have faith in. It's in Jesus. And so just a few thoughts that have been going around in my head recently. And I just trust and pray that they're an encouragement to you and the Lord would use them to, to encourage your hearts in Christ.
0: Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. I want to encourage you that if you're not already doing so, to please follow us on Facebook and Instagram for both the Bible School and the camp. If you can get away from your busy schedule, we'd love to have you come and visit. Come and spend a week with us. You would be able to sit in on classes and get to know us. If you are an alumni, it'd be a great time to reconnect. If you're interested, give us a call. 830-995-3388 October 15-17 through are the dates set aside for our family retreat if you're interested in attending make sure to register by October 1st and finally if you're interested in having John or one of our other teachers come and speak at your church or event or perhaps even via FaceTime or another video streaming platform just get in touch with me at Kelly K-E-L-L-Y at hishill.com Org. You've been listening to the His Hill Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Darty. Remember, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.